On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss what inspired our journey into technology. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 76 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forum, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network to give our takes. With me today is Wendy, the Roundhouse Photographer Champion and the Slide Tackle Gaming Enabler of the Destination Linux Network, Matt. How are you, Wendy? I am doing pretty dang good this week. We do have a cold kind of running through the house right now, so that part isn't so awesome. After the second week of co-op, there's always a cold that runs through the house when we get back to co-op, and it's just that time of year for us, that time of getting back together with others that we just can't help every single year. So once that's through, the rest of the semester will be absolutely awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. It does seem like the beginning of the school year, the kids get a little thing. Although this year, that didn't happen for me. It's a strange year. That is awesome to not have the cold run through the house during the first part of the year. I wish we would have been able to skip it this year. Not so much. So we actually didn't get to go to Tuesday co-op this week. Uh, we won't be going to Thursday co-op tomorrow. Huh? We record on Wednesdays. So I was trying to get together something for my sub to be able to do with the kids in class, which is a little difficult when I've got all the computers and the person that I have helping me in class really doesn't know anything about them or what we're working on in general. So she's there and kind of kind of let me know, hey, you know, this person needs help or that person needs help, but I need something for her that is pretty simple, something that's not quite so technical in its aspect of it. And I think I found an option. It is a no prep lesson plan that has to do with the history of video games. I think the kids will absolutely love it. It'll keep them engaged for that time that she's got them. It is still something that is tech-related, something that is somewhat still code-base related, and they'll get something out of it. Hopefully, they'll still get something out of it. But the rest of class is going absolutely awesome. I've enjoyed the last two weeks with the kids, though I'm not able to get in and do any of this setup before the kids show up just the way that this semester worked out. I'm actually helping in first Lego League first hour, so I can't do any prep work then. Ooh. Yes, that first Lego League has been a blast so far too. I'm really excited that I get to help out with our club and I can't wait to see what the kids do and the solutions that they come up with. If you haven't heard of first Lego League, go check it out. It's a really interesting learning to code project activity for kids that they get to do together in teamwork. Super awesome. But I'm helping with that first hour. And so second hour is when we do the coding portion of it. All of the laptops and my projector and all of that stuff needs to get set up at the beginning class. So we don't get as much time as I'd like to do things. We actually usually dip into snack time. So the way Thursday co-op works is we have two classes. There's snack. (laughs) Snack time is my favorite time. Yes. And 
then the third hour for the day and after that it's noon lunchtime and we all go home. So we actually typically are dipping into snack time. They're getting to the late just because it's making up for the beginning of class and just not able to get started as quickly as we'd like to. The room is super tiny. Trying to figure out where to put the projector has been a little bit of an issue. I spent most of last week with the projector shining in my face as I was moving back and forth and helping kids <laughs> with different things. So I'm still looking for solutions to make it the best class possible, but the kids seem to really be enjoying it. And I am thrilled with the laptops that they are using for class. Even though we're not doing any drawing or that kind of thing, the laptops that we're using right now have the pens and Wacom functionality built in. I can't teach a drawing class on tech. I would have to hand that over to my daughter, like, hey, I will supply the stuff and help be tech support, but my daughter would be the one to show them the applications and how they work and what they do, because that's not my forte. That's totally hers. But we may end up doing that together next semester, because I think there are some kids that would absolutely love that too. So that is an option on these. And I didn't think that the swivel on the screens would be super handy for our application, but where the room's small enough and the kids, I'm going in between two tables and checking things and stuff, they can just kind of swing their screen around so I can see what it looks like and help fix whatever issues they're having or give them suggestions from that. Instead of having to walk all the way around the table, I can just stay between the two and help them that way. So the swivels on the laptop screens have been absolutely Absolutely fantastic. It's also a great opportunity for your daughter to get in front of people and to teach as well. And that's only going to set her up for success in the future, no matter what she does. Yeah, absolutely. And she is very shy and quiet, not much of an extrovert. And so her being able to get in front of people and do things like that is definitely going to help her in the long run, help push her to, you got to talk to people sometimes, girl. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. I always look for opportunities to get my kids to get out in front of people. My oldest doesn't really care for it at all. My daughter doesn't seem to mind. And the youngest doesn't want to at all either. But, you know, you got to work on them. And I think it's awesome your daughter will do that with you. That's awesome. She loves to draw. And so the art is what would bring her out because she'd be able to share a passion that she has and being able to do it on technology. She loves the old-fashioned pen and paper, paint and paper. But there's something different about the medium of using it on a drawing tablet or, in this case, a computer that turns into a drawing tablet that just adds one more tool in your your base of being artistic. Are you done giving Ryan issues with your laptop there, Matt? I don't know what you're talking about. I would never give Ryan issues with a laptop. A giant workstation, <laughs> yes, but never a laptop. <laughs> I'm not going to make it easy for him. I mean, come on. I wouldn't expect anything less. True. I've been setting up the machine that Ryan sent back after he had upgraded the GPU. Getting it reset up because there was a certain issue with Gamer OS or Chimera OS, whatever it's called now, on my secondary drive. So I just nuked and paved and I ended up installing Groove a Dragonized Gaming Edition on it because it's got all the preload stuff that I don't have to deal with. Literally, it just goes from Plasma into big picture mode, so it's really not all that different from what I was using it for. It's been an interesting experience. I do like the fact that having stress tested some of these games, they run really, really well now. I mean, they ran all right before, but now like I played Devil May Cry 4 Special Edition. It was running at like 180 frames a second. So compared to the 70 I was getting, it's improved dramatically. Well, that's excellent. That is super awesome. Anytime that you get something working better is always 
a victory, no matter what it is. I just know that a fix is sometimes more satisfying than actually getting something brand new. But that's just me. I guess you can see that in my pattern of my life, I suppose. I absolutely agree with that. There's nothing like taking something that worked but could be better and making it so much more efficient. Or in this case, making it that much better for gaming. So are you going to continue using this laptop for gaming? I know you were using it as kind of a media editing device before. Is it going to be both or just gaming now? This particular machine is pretty much just going to be a what you could equate to an old school Steam machine. So the Steam console, call it whatever you want. I'm not talking about the Steam Deck, but like the actual first iteration Steam machine kind of mentality is kind of what I'm taking with this. So I hooked it up to a 24-inch monitor that had as a spare, then close the lid, extend plasma over to the other monitor, call it good, and just go from there. Everything's controller-based, so it's fine. It's going to stay as a typical Steam machine this time around, I think. Is it running Arch? Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yes, because he's using Garuda. I'm using Garuda Linux, so. Oh, that's right. I will be on record for saying this. Thank you, Ryan. You're totally welcome for the pain in the butt job that was, by the way. You know, that's nice that you know you got Ryan like that in your back pocket to fix your things at your whim. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, I'm sure it costs some money to ship it, but you know. He got paid for the shipping, so he has nothing to complain about <laughs> other than maybe the time it took him to actually do the work. And that is definitely what he was complaining about. More so all of the ribbon cables that were part of it. Well, like I said, do you think I'm stupid enough to try to do all that stuff? Heck no. That's why I sent it to him. <laughs> and Ryan's always up for the challenge. Ryan likes hardware, so, well, I gave him an opportunity for hardware. Here you go, bud. In all seriousness, what it boils down to, I needed an upgrade to the GPU because NVIDIA was sunsetting the drivers into the legacy drivers, which are like the 340, 390, whatever the legacy Linux drivers are. There's a, not a lot of stuff that would work with that. Luckily, this is an upgradable GPU, so I ended up looking at GPUs. Originally, I was looking at like a 980M, which go for like $300. I can't justify that cost. I went down to essentially a 960 or 965, which this is the quality. Quadro card, it was like a $70 upgrade. Well, that's not bad. That price I can justify. The $300 one where basically you're paying for a third of a machine, I couldn't. This is probably the last upgrade I'll be able to do to this particular machine because the heating system can't really take anything higher than that. And uh, the board itself, I don't think is going to take anything higher than probably whatever the equivocal Quadro cards are going to be other than the 980s. So that's just what it is. And I've gotten four years of life out of the system, so I can't really and yeah, now you're basically just on borrowed time, so that's pretty awesome. Well, I got probably another <laughs> year and a half of use out of this system from this one upgrade, so I'm fine with that. I mean, technically, I can use this system for as long as I want, but until it don't work, but... I'm talking a full-on production machine or a Steam machine or, you know, whatever. That's kind of where it ends. Right. Well, I guess, I mean, if you do gaming like me, though, it's probably good for the rest of your life. Nate, you don't <laughs> do gaming. You could game on a toaster sure. and you'd be content. That's still gaming, right? It might not be modern gaming, but it's still gaming. That toaster will run Doom. <laughs> <laughs> the first one. Right. The best one. So while I'm working on updating machines and stuff, Nate, you were busy updating things in the home area. So what have you been working on? Well, specifically, my Cubicle Labs got a load of updates this week. It didn't roll down from the OpenSUSE servers. I got my mini split air conditioner heat pump thing working. It's nice to have air conditioning now that summer has ended. So that's nice. I guess better late than never. We might have a few more warm days, but 
I'm also upgrading the electrical switches in the building. So I've been changing out the traditional mechanical click-click switch and putting in controllable switches. I'm using an Insteon system because I already had the parts from my previous home. And then I installed Home Assistant on a Raspberry Pi. And so I am adding automation to my building. It's a rather large building. Typically, the kids leave lights on or whatever, and I don't like paying more for electricity than I absolutely have to. And I have all this retro tech that I have to run. So better to put the electricity through the retro tech than just lighting up an empty room. I've been automating all the lights in the building so I can turn them on and off from my computer or mobile or whatever old tablet using Home Assistant. Home Assistant is pretty nice. It has a lot of plugins, a lot of features, a lot of things you can do with it. And I'm just kind of scratching the surface now. I just started building some scenes. So like when I do live streaming, I just click on a scene. All my lights will adjust to what I need for live streaming and so forth. So like my overhead lights that are fluorescent bulbs, which eventually will be LED. Those are now controlled by the switch, by the computer. And then it's tied to a scene that when it's triggered, it will basically kill the overhead lights and just turn on the light I need for live streaming so it doesn't look weird, I guess, or as weird, I should say. Yeah, it's been all about the updates to the physical building. And also today, the other project's going to be installing, lack of a better term, it's like a weather strip to go under the garage doors because I'm getting water infiltration with all the rain we've been having. I don't really want to see water trailing into my drains in the main bay area. So I'm going to be fixing that today too. Yeah, it's all about the upgrades, making my labs more labby, I guess. So you're going from some really super awesome technical updates back down to some of the basic must-have non-technical updates. Yes, it's all about whatever little upgrades are necessary. I did the downspouts already, added to that. It helped the problem, but didn't really fix it. So I'll be glad when this phase is done as well. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new Managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security for your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together, they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. As a listener of DLN Extend podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash M-O-N-G-O and get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. We all began our journey into tech from someplace. For me, it was at a very young age. I don't know where it was for you, Matt or Wendy, which is why we're having this conversation. What inspired you first to really get into technology? Those doors opened up and you saw the light and technology became this exciting wonderland like uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. What was that first inspirational push for you? I actually came into technology pretty late in life. So it wasn't something that I was a part of when I was a kid. I spent most of my time playing outside 
and camping with my grandparents and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, technology was included as part of school-related things, but it wasn't something that I was wholeheartedly dived into and interested in. Once I became an adult and I had to use technology for some of the day-to-day things, and it was really finding Linux here just a few years ago that got me super interested in technology. Yes, I'd pay attention to hardware and the fact that I wanted something that was going to help me edit photos. So almost photography is what brought me into being conscious of what hardware was in my system. The first laptop that I bought, and it was mostly for school-related purposes, I really wasn't worried about what the basic specs were. Talk to the guy. Yeah, is it going to work? Sure. That's the one I got. And then as I had my first child and we got our first digital camera and I was trying to edit images and that kind of stuff, I'm like, wait a minute. This really isn't cutting it and started saying, okay, what does it take to edit images where things weren't lagging so bad? Or after editing a picture, I don't need to restart my computer. Yeah, that was a pretty gosh dang rough time. You edit one photo, save it, and which it saved super slowly. Then you restart and then you could edit another image. Took forever and definitely was one of those reasons that I need to figure out what goes in to a computer and what can I afford to make it better. Right. Then once I found Linux and I started looking at some of these other things and I'd bought a computer just before I'd found Linux and then I'd realized oh man I wish I would have spent more time and deep dived into it more because building my computer would have been so much better between the hardware that I could put in it and the overall cost of the system right now cost for parts isn't so great. Great, but that's a different story. Back when I bought my last pre-built, it definitely was the case that I could have had a much better system for a lower cost had I built it myself. Then I started researching and diving into, okay, when I build my next computer, what am I going to need? And just kind of keeping up to date on some of the parts that were coming in and learning what their functions were and what the advantages were to different aspects of the different components. And then Linux finished opening up that door because now not only did I have so much control of the software, it made it easier to play with the hardware in a way. It was just these two different ideas of technology that I went from, okay, I'm kind of keeping an eye on it to I have to know so much. And I'm one of those addictive personalities anyway. When I find an idea that I'm just fascinated about, I have to just throw myself into it. And I've spent hours and hours researching it and listening to podcasts. And that's how I found the Destination Linux network is I was in one of those phases of learning about technology where I had to just absorb everything that I possibly could, whatever could I could cram into my brain at the moment and found this awesome community. And it's just one of those things that Even once the drive for I spend every single moment of my day researching it went away, I'm still hooked and I'm here. That's actually really cool. We're lucky as a Destination Linux Network community that this is the community you found. Well, one, yeah, of course, it's a nicer community than all the rest. I mean, really, come on. I think that it's neat that you came here and you decided to stick around. And I totally get where you're coming from. Like, we start, like, doing research on something. And then after that obsession about that thing left you, like, what remained within you was further drive to understand about the technology, about related bits even more. That's a really cool story. Thank you. Now, I know you said you started early in life. 
Matt, were you early or late? He's always late. Always late. No, I'm not Michael. <laughs> I guess you could say an early technology adopter, but a lot of that had to do with the fact because I was a gamer more than anything else, though. I remember playing Earl Weaver's baseball on my dad's like 386. So you had to run DOS Ooh. and everything else. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, Nate, that'll be something more up your alley. I was an DOS guy, but keep going. I meant as far as age of like the gaming aspect. That was something I always had to get into. And I got into things like MUDs, or for those that don't know what a MUD is, it's a multi-user level dungeon. It's text-based MMOs, basically. That was really what got me into technology because you had to have a certain level of technical aptitude or knowledge to use that. Like You had to know what Telnet was, kind of the other stuff to connect to MUDs. As I got older, I just got more into the technology end of it because I was always like, oh, well, this is something related to the gaming. Then at some point, it just became a, I want to get into technology. And I don't have like one specific instance that was like my aha. It's just, it's a gradual more and more increase. I built my first machine, you know, it was a 233 Pentium 2 with like 32 megs of RAM and like a four gig hard drive, which was like you're balling back in the day. Uh, today too. Come on now. <laughs> if you're running Windows 98, <laughs> sure, or something around that time for similar OS. Yeah. That's really probably when it started. It was probably that first machine build that I did. And that was just using a system of a bunch of spare parts that were kicking around at the time. So you're probably talking... Maybe 2000, 2001 is like when it really kicked off for me. I had explored Linux and all the other stuff probably around 99. And then as I got older, technology became a bigger integrator into your life, you know, with things like the internet and communication and different ways of conversation and stuff, you know, AIM and IAMs, people using Yahoo Messenger and all the other stuff. It just became more integrated. Then you got into BitTorrents and file sharing. And as everything kind of develops, I ended up kind of developing with it. So like my interest kind of just dove further and further into stuff. Not going to lie, because of that, you learn the ins and outs of Windows and you realize how much you dislike Windows. Oh, for sure. That was probably my biggest thing. It was just a gradual adoption of just kind of technology growing at a rapid pace in the times that I was, you know, a kid, a teen, a young adult, and then, you know, in your 20s, and then everything kind of blew up. And now I'm, I'm a tech guy as far as like just my general interest. So for me, that's probably when it really started. But the question is not about me. Nate, you, on the other hand, are, I'm not sure if I'd call you retro, modern, or retroly modern. I would consider myself just a tech enthusiast. I find all kinds of technology interesting. So it's not just computers, not just Linux, not just retro tech, but even more rudimentary technologies I find interesting as well. So I'm kind of a mix, an amalgamation of things. I kind of got into tech with the Commodore 64. No, not kind of. I actually got into tech with the Commodore 64 way back in my childhood, formative years. And I remember sitting beside my mother and she would typing in the load command to play this game fire ant and i still have played it actually with my kids and they like the game it's still actually a game that's fun and holds up today i would say if you're into the 8-bit games that's really what kicked it off for me and then it just kind of grew from there you know i started getting things and taking them apart mechanical things I got in trouble as a child for taking apart the dishwasher because I wanted to see how those mechanical buttons, like you push one and the others would pop out. I wanted to see how that worked. My mother wasn't too happy about that. But instead of really like beating me down like some parents might, my father started bringing home basically garbage, electrical or whatever kind of garbage for me to take apart and see how it was put together. Now, the stuff that was basically already broken. And so I just kept exploring and exploring. And then, you know, I got into programming for a while and then it moved on to doing design, like mechanical design work and, and all kinds of things. So 
And then how I got into Linux was the platform that I really enjoyed at the time, Amiga, which, you know, it's not really dead. It's just kind of in the witness protection program. Really neat multi-chip architecture thing that, so the CPU would push off tasks to like the GPU, or they called the video chip at the time, and the sound chip and everything else. At the time, I really felt like PCs were really underwhelming because either they had, you know, beep, beep, boop, beep sounds, or the video was the garbage CGA and VGA was, you know, not really a thing yet, or it was a thing, but not that exciting. So I got really interested in the Amiga. And then actually now really all the advantages the Amiga had in the 90s is really what we enjoy today with a dedicated graphics processor for all our the video stuff that we enjoy and dedicated sound chips and all the other little bits and bops that take care of things on the computer and so forth. Movies inspired me as well to like pursue it more. There's a movie called Sneakers, Robert Redford, so you'd probably like it, Wendy. A really neat movie about the dark web, I guess you could say at the time, the black hat hackers and such of like the early 90s. War games that also further inspired my love for technology. And then you have Star Trek. In fact, actually, interestingly enough, the reason I wanted to learn to touch type was watching data on Star Trek, like how he would interact with the computer so quick. I'm like, I want to be able to interact with my computer quickly. That's actually why I learned to touch type. I was so motivated because of that television show. Do you touch type quickly? Oh, yeah. I'm probably like between 30 to 50 words per minute, depending on the complexity of the word and how tired I am. Nice. So going from like my Commodore 64 imposter to my laptop is a little bit different because of how some of the key arrangements are. So I I fumble a little bit when I transition initially, but I'm pretty quick. Yeah. I like to take all my notes if I'm learning something on the computer because I can take a lot of notes a lot quicker. I usually have paper too because I like to draw things out as well because I think it'd be really weird if you set up with like a graphics tablet and a multi-screen when you go to a conference or whatever or whatever to learn. That might look a little weird. But anyway, you know, all these little things like they just further inspired my tech, my desire for tech. And then I got involved, you know, more with Linux, you know, OpenSUSE about 10 years ago. When I discovered podcasts, I tried to like, I guess, swim with other communities that were out there. And some were okay. And some were, you know, okay. And it was actually the Destination Linux community. It was before the, the network. I really started to interact with people around the world, like actually interact and get to know people, not just by screen name and forum posts, but actually have real fun. So I would say I'm having more fun with technology today you know, because of this journey and getting to know Matt and Wendy and uh, Michael and the Ryans and the Noahs of the world. It's a continual role of excitement at this point. I've been able to meet some really neat people across the world. Like, you know, we know Zeb and then uh, also Yannick because of the Destination Linux Network. And it just continues to roll and my enthusiasm just builds more and more. I see where can I start to wedge technology into to make my life more convenient in other ways. Why I started automating my building out here, hopefully to improve my electric bill a little bit because I was kind of on the high side last time. So it all started from a Commodore 64 back in like 1984 or something like that, maybe 85. And I've pretty much been uh, hooked ever since. I absolutely love the fact that your parents supported you in wanting to take and tear things apart and how that has affected the rest of your drive in technology. It's one of the things that we've done here around the house is my son also likes to take things apart. My husband used to take things apart all the time. Sometimes forcefully. (laughs) Yes, sometimes (laughs) forcefully. But he now has a living fixing things. Now it's not the technology that we like to play with, but working on loaders and all kinds of different ag equipment, that's what he's working on every day. And that started with being able to take things apart and put them back together from a really young age. My son loves to take different technology apart. And one of the things we like to do is go to one of the secondhand stores where stuff has been donated. So the parts or things are pretty cheap and he can pick out some things, keyboards, hair dryers, all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, And he can tear them apart and put it back together. And if they work in the end, great. And if they don't, I really don't care. 
tear because they were bought for the purpose of him to tear apart. That's actually really cool that you do that. Makes me think that I should probably do more stuff like that with my kids. Go to like a local thrift store and see if they have any broken things to tear apart. I have plenty right now, so that's not a big issue. But that's a really great idea to feel that inspiration of technology. Yes, and it saves the stuff that I don't want tore apart because he's got his own things that can be that I'm not worried about. It's awesome to encourage people to kind of explore things that they're interested in. So like in Nate's case, instead of being shunned for kind of having that interest in technology, you know, it was encouraged or like you mentioned, Wendy, you know, encouraging your kids to kind of explore their area of interest and that kind of stuff and not really limiting them, I think is really cool because far too often, at least I've seen is that people try to pigeonhole like other people's interests and it does the people no good to kind of pigeonhole your family members or anybody like that. So I think it's always encouraging that people kind of embrace their interests, you know, be it technology or whatever part of nerd or geek culture you want to be a part of, cars, (laughs) etc. I think that's not encouraged enough. And I really do think that it's awesome that you're doing that with your kids and stuff. Props to you on that one. The only thing my kids would be pigeonholed into, and I'm so glad that we all like it, is outdoor stuff. If we had a kid that liked to just sit inside all the time, they would not be really happy with the rest of our family because we do spend so many hours in the desert fishing in the mountains all of that kind of stuff so thankfully all of my kids like it so we can share that interest as a family and then we have our separate interests and the goal is to make sure that everybody can participate in the stuff that they're interested in regardless of whether I find it interesting or not. My husband has the hardest time with this and it's video games and I don't know like just his generation. He's really not that much different age-wise than Nate. So it can't necessarily be generation, but maybe where he grew up on a ranch, that kind of stuff. There was always work to do. But he does like to play some video games himself. He's like, I don't understand why you want to watch somebody else play video games. I'm like, it's okay. (laughs) It's fine. There's so many worse things, especially when it comes to our 14-year-old daughter. Like, there's so many other things that she could be interested in. Be happy. It's video games. A part of me kind of doesn't understand the whole watch other people play video games. But then if I think about it, like growing up as a kid, how many times did I go to a buddy's house and we play Super Nintendo or the Nintendo 64, I think came out next, whatever. That was kind of toward the end. But like where I just enjoy just like hanging out on this couch, being with my buddy and watching people play video games. At least um, I like to watch them when they live stream mostly. Yes. It's kind of like sitting on their virtual couch, interacting with them. Like, you know, Matt, he used to live stream from time to time. And anytime I get the notification he was live streaming, I would always hop on. Just like I'm sitting on his couch, his virtual couch. He can't hear it if I belch or whatever watching kind of passively as he plays and seeing how he does things and just kind of like, you know, shooting the breeze. There's also that as well. Yes. Sometimes it's almost a game review. I know there's times that my kids have had one of the streamers on that they like to watch and then games have come up in my humble bundle or hey you might like this and I'm like actually I've seen somebody play it and that helps me determine whether I actually want to claim that game or not or purchase that game the other part that I agree with you there's some games that I watch especially EB English Bob he plays a lot of games that really aren't my cup of tea They're not ones that I would choose to play on my own, but I enjoy the community interaction around him playing 
and the community participating in whether things are going well or not going well. There's a different aspect to it that is almost like sitting around with friends and playing a game together or watching somebody play. That's exactly how I look at it. It's like you interact with friends with common shared interests. You know, a lot of people that watch EB Stream, they're a similar cut to us as far as their enthusiasm for technology or some aspect of technology. You learn things from people in that way as well. Yeah, there's so many of them that are fellow Linux users, especially in streams like that, where games are being played on Linux as well, and you share the things that are going on. So yeah, the game's playing in the background, but we're talking about what's going well. Sometimes people are asking questions about the distro or trying to get things to work at the same time the game is playing. I know during one live stream, it wasn't game-related, but it was another community kind of chat going on. We were talking about recipes and that kind of thing and a lot of the dietary issues that I have and so how I solve some of those problems. And I created a recipe card for one of the things that we were talking about and shared it with the community there as we were having our technical chat. So there's just so much more to being interested in tech than the hardware and software itself. The community is a super awesome part of that. And I'm sure there are people with other interests, like photography people. There's a group on Telegram called Food Geekery. We talk about food all the time. Very little Linux talk, but there is some like tech and food talk as far as devices, yeah. appliances, and so forth. And a bunch of Linux people in there, like Steve's very own's in there. I can't remember his first name, but I think Taggart's his last name. He does a Snap development. He does other things too, I'm sure, but he does some Snaps, some that I use. He started the group. Actually, I shared a picture of how I was making mashed potatoes using a DeWalt drill with a beater in, like a mixer and on it. A drill will spin at like, what, over 1,000 RPM. I can't remember how fast. Okay, 2,000 RPM. So I was ma able to make my potatoes very quickly with no lumps because I don't like lumps in my mashed potatoes. So I just kind of showed a picture of that as I'm doing it. And that became the icon, the little image for the group is a DeWalt drill beating mashed potatoes. But anyway, there's so many aspects of technology that I really enjoy. Everything from physical hand tools, computers, and so forth. So my question is for the community, what was your inspiration into tech? What inspired you to explore tech further? I love to hear the stories about it. Those origin stories are always exciting for me to hear. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. You know, Matt, early in my days of technology, there was a company not far from where I live called Zenith or Zenith Data Systems. Did you get something, an old Zenith Data System? Did I get an old Zenith TV, you mean? Or an old Zenith TV. I figured it would be more relevant <laughs> given the game. 
No, this is actually a isometric RPG. For those that don't know what isometric is, think of your like Diablo and Diablo 2 and Baldur's Gate type games, those Infinity Engine games. This particular game is a spoof of every RPG trope that is humanly possible. And I love it for I'm already sold. The best way to think of this is, <laughs> Nate, have you played the original Bard's Tales games? No, no, I never even heard of them. They are very much like these. They're spoof games. Like they, they spoof the entire genre of RPGs and the typical tropey, oh, save the world, get the girl, you know, all that stuff. And there's like such a sarcastic tone in the way the game is done. If the trailer alone on Steam should sell you on this game, the gameplay is actually really good too. So yes, this does work on... Proton, it is rated platinum. The last update that anybody put it on there was three months ago. It was basically out of the box, no tweaking involved. I'm not going to get into a whole lot of details, but I think for the price of the game, which I believe normally is like $14.99 when it's not on sale, that to me is an amazing price for a game that is 100% spoof. And if you want something that's just comical, far too often in gaming do we get like these mad, serious, like Ooh, serious storylines and stuff. And sometimes you just need something to laugh at. These type of games are ones I've always liked highlighting because they're just that rare to find. Well, thanks a lot for your enablement. I've already purchased the game. It was $5.55 after tax. And so now I'll download it once my internet comes back to normal. This is one of those <laughs> games that Matt had mentioned to me before, and it's not my normal kind of gameplay. It's not a game I'd typically buy, but I've been considering this one, especially where it's on sale, just based on the trailer alone. I am a fan of comedies, especially a lot of the raunchy comedies. And while this game I wouldn't necessarily classify as a raunchy comedy. I love the comedic aspects of it. The fact that they're making fun of video games, they're making fun of themselves. That really pulls me into things like this, even if it's not my normal kind of gameplay. Yeah, I want to build up my library of Steam games because I think we talked ahead like what 20 or something like that. Because I have a Steam Deck on the way, this seems like a really great way if I'm out and about or whatever. I have to go someplace by obligation and I can pull out the Steam Deck. And this looks like one of those games that I could get immersed into. It kind of reminds me of, do you remember ever playing like the Police Quest or Space Quest style games that are very tongue-in-cheek, comedy? Yeah. I love that style of game. They're just fun, lighthearted. I don't do the serious stuff very well. Life's too serious as it is. From what I can tell, just looking at the pictures and the trailer, this hits all the high points for me. And at $5.55 after tax, that sounds like a winner to me. A score for the enabler again. Yes. This wasn't in the budget, but it's only five bucks. It'll be fine. So while I am updating Nate's Steam collection, so he actually has some games to play for once, <laughs> but that are maybe within the current generation of, you know, the last 20 years. Wendy, <laughs> you've been updating on some certain other things that you've been trying to get going. How's that going? Yeah, this is going to be a pretty short and sweet update on the Pine Phone Challenge. Life got busy, and I know you guys have all been probably wondering how it's going, how did it work, am I still using my Pine Phone? And plain and simple, I haven't actually got to start the Pine Phone Challenge yet. I had really dove into it. Co-op started and I've spent all of my time on prepping for the two different co-ops, doing homeschool with my kids and other work-related stuff. Even my house right now has gone by the wayside as far as being kept up. So I haven't been able to deep dive into this as much as I'd like to. The biggest thing that's holding me back in being able to do the full-fledged Pine Phone Challenge is making sure or getting my SIM card to work 
within the pine phone. The last time we talked, Ubiports looked really promising in getting that to work. There has been several updates to Manjaro Plasma version, and I'm really curious to see if those updates make a difference. Because we all have had a cold this week, we're not going to co-op this week, I'm hopefully going to have some time to play with it a little bit, finish getting it set up so that I can actually continue the Pine Phone Challenge. I would really, really like to update you with an actual how it worked update next week. So that is one of my goals since we are not in co-op this week to try and pinpoint what's going on with my SIM card. And if you have any suggestions, if you've used a CDMA SIM card inside a Pine phone and have any tips and tricks for me, please make sure you're dropping them into the comments before, whether it's on YouTube. I will make sure I swing over and check Odyssey for any comments. I'm not as good about checking there, but I will swing over there. And then one of the best ways to leave comments is... In the discourse form, I try to make sure that there is a post for every episode up there with links to what's going on in the show, and it's a great place to chat with us about it and send your comments, and in this case, your tips for getting a CDMA SIM card to work in a Pine phone. I can't speak for CDMA, but I do use a GSM-based SIM card, and it works great. I could probably do that Pine phone challenge, actually. That might be fun to do. I totally agree that people should check out the Discourse Forum. And uh, maybe if they have a Pine Phone, do that. That'd be fun. I'm charging my Pine Phone right now because I, uh, I killed it. I think mine probably needs to be plugged in again too. It's been a little bit since so I picked it up and messed with it. And I have a tendency not to turn that off in between playtimes. And so it probably does need to be charged up again so that I can try out the new Manjaro, see how it's working, see maybe if I can. It does sound like CDMA in general has a tendency to work better with PinePhone itself, but there's also, it depends on your carrier, because I think I've heard some people mention with one of the big name characters that if they try to take their GSM SIM card and put it in a PinePhone, that it shuts down the SIM and they can't use their current SIM with their current provider in the phone at all because it's not a quote-unquote approved device. Oh, that's pretty dirty. Yeah. I will say one thing about the Pine phone. At least I can only speak for Ruby ports because I haven't tried Manjaro Plasma Mobile version for a while. I will say the battery life has gotten really, really good on the Pine phone. Like, I can leave it. I don't think I've touched this thing probably four days and it's still charged. That's awesome, and that's definitely something to be paying attention to. But I don't have a problem of it lasting. Again, I'm using UbiPort, so that could be why. I was using UbiPorts also. Are you on the stable or developer? Oh, golly, I don't know. I don't remember. I can check when I when it boots up. I'll let you know in a Telegram message or a Matrix message. Smoke signal. No smoke. I'm tired of smoke. No smoke signal. Send it over Telegram or Matrix. Okay, he'll send it Carrier Pigeon instead. That better. <laughs> there we go. Sounds good. The Pine phone is newer tech and you are still diving in, working on older tech. How is that going, Nate? Well, great. It's one of those little side jaunts I do from time to time. But last week, I was able to finally fix my Commodore 64. It was giving me problems freezing up from time to time and I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe some chips were going bad or whatever. So I did some diagnostics on it and I couldn't get the diagnostic tool to detect any problems. But then when I went in to play like a game with my kids, it would lock up again. So scratching my head, I didn't know what the correct solution was for it. I found a group 
online. Slightly ashamed to say it was a Facebook group. They basically told me to reseat the chips, the socketed chips in there. So I did that. Well, I guess it really wasn't much of a fix. But now everything works. It doesn't freeze up anymore. It runs for continually without issue. I'm excited to say that my Commodore 64, after almost 40 years of existence on this planet, is still running today. That is super awesome. And sometimes the simplest fix, just reseating chips, is the best one in general. Why spend all the time tearing things apart when just reseating chips could fix the problem? Stepping outside of the issue, especially when it's your piece of hardware, is the best way. Finding another group that's enthusiastic about the piece of hardware and able to be outside of the problem is a great way to try and fix it. I even spent money on putting heat sinks on all the chips in there. It's got all these new aluminum... uh like a matrix of points, a heatsink, yeah, which makes them run a little cooler and also will extend the life of the aging hardware. So that's also exciting. But that was part of the uh, bunny trail I was going down trying to fix the problem. Just some crusty sockets and now it's good to go. Awesome. Glad you got it working again. It's good to see I'm not the only one trying to keep vintage tech or older tech relevant. I just do it in a different way than Nate apparently. Yes. My vintage tech isn't quite as capable as your vintage tech. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels in all of our shows and creators at DestinationLinux.network. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description or drop us a message on the contact form by visiting dlnextend.com contact. Be sure to check out DLN Merch Store and grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with our other shows from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 